Uh, a couple weeks ago, our family was at the Kitchener Rangers game when somebody we knew, we bumped into somebody we knew there, and they invited us down to this place called High Five Alley, where the kids get to line up, hang over this metal bar, and give high fives to the Rangers players as they come out of the dressing room and go onto the ice. And so we made our way down there the one, the one day with our friend, and they had a blast. They absolutely loved it. To the point that one of our kids came out saying, I'm never going to wash my hand again. <laughs> and we said, that's nice. And Michelle grabbed the hand sanitizer and... <laughs> but like, what made this moment special for them, because it was so exciting, was that in their minds, they never thought that something like this would happen. I mean, they so look up to these hockey players that they never, in their wildest dreams, that felt that they could meet these people in real life, at least get close enough to give a high five to. It felt out of reach for them. You know, in our lives, there are going to be things that likewise feel out of reach for us. Maybe it's not high-fiving a 17-year-old getting back on the ice, as was true with the Kitchener Rangers. But maybe there's other things that are going on in our lives that feel far-fetched. They, they feel too idealistic. They seem too big to ever consider, to even consider the possibility that they might come true. And sometimes we call these dreams hopes, don't we? And sometimes when we think about hope, we find ourselves thinking, you know, too small about what hope really is. Because hope is actually, if you step back and you think about the significance of hope, hope is something that is really powerful. You know, hope invites us to look beyond the immediacy of our circumstances and to dream about what could be. And when you think about it that way, hope is actually quite a disruptive force because it inspires us. It can upset the status quo of what we've always thought was and and will always be. It upsets things, and it actually can be kind of scary. And it can be scary for a couple of reasons. It could be scary because, whoa, my world just isn't the way that I thought it would be. But it could also be scary because then we start to have to think about things like, what happens when what we hope for doesn't come true? And those thoughts can be painful. Those experiences can be painful. They can be disillusioning. And what can feel safer for many of us is to protect ourselves by keeping our sense of hope rather small. We don't want to hope for too much. Now, often when we think about hope, we're thinking about things that are tangible. Like maybe, I hope that we get a puppy for Christmas. As an aside, I don't want a puppy for Christmas. We got one a couple years ago. He's great. We don't want any more. But we think about stuff. I want this for Christmas. Or maybe I hope that 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 difficult situation at work will get sorted out. But the hope that we find in Scripture isn't a sense of optimism, nor is it about looking forward to getting something that we want. Rather, it's connected to the person and the character of God. See, hope is something that we can have even when there's no promise that things are going to work out in our favor. But we can have this hope because we know that God is with us. And so at Christmas, we are celebrating that that Jesus, as God's hope, has come to be with us and make his dwelling with people like us. But again, hope can be hard, can't it? Some of us want to have hope. We really, really want to have hope. But we want to believe in who God says he is and that God will do the things that that he says he will do. But at the same time, it can be really hard to not have twinges of doubt have twinges of fear, feelings of insecurity. But a part of the Christmas story is that God is with us and he is using people whose hope is shaky at times. 
And so this morning, our big idea that we'll be exploring is that our experience of God's hope is not dependent on our, on our unwavering faith. Our experience of God's hope is not dependent on our unwavering faith. And, and to help us explore this this morning, we're going to look at, at two different people uh, from Luke chapter 1. And we're going to start with a man named Zechariah. And we're going to start reading from verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the, of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and, I, and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he, he could not speak. They realized then he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. And we'll end there. You know, in the verses that precede what we read this morning, we, they paint a picture of Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth as being truly good people. Zechariah is a priest, and he's part of a long family line of people who are also priests, and so was Elizabeth. They had good priestly pedigree. And Luke goes on to tell us about how they were righteous in the sight of God. They observed all of God's commandments, and they were blameless. You know, here we have a couple who are considered godly and they're considered faithful. And so we might think that if anybody was a, would be able to retain a sense of hope in God, that it might be people like Zechariah and Elizabeth. But as we get to know them, we realize that they had a reason to, reason to doubt built into their story. They had a reason to not be quite as hopeful as maybe they would like to have been. See, Luke tells us that they were old and childless. And as if the pain of being childless was not enough, in, in, in that time, to be childless, it was thought of to be a sign of God's displeasure. And so despite how blameless their lives were, they would have heard the rumors and the stories. I mean, there goes Zachariah and Elizabeth. They must have done something pretty bad to get what, what, you know, to not be able to have children. These were the whispers going on around them. And this might explain Zachariah's response to what it is that the angels tell him. See, in our passage, Zechariah, he's in the temple, and he's performing a, a, du a sacred duty that he would only have the opportunity to do once in his entire life. And it's at this moment that this angel appears to him and, and tells him a good news story. 
Zechariah, you and Elizabeth are going to have a son. That long-awaited child that you've been waiting so long for, you are going to have a child. And not only will this child bring joy to you, but this, this child will bring joy to the world. This child will have the Spirit of God on them from before the time where they were, they were born. And they, God will use this child to do mighty, big God things, preparing the way for, God's, for God to come, the Lord to come, that is Jesus to come. This is a good news story. It's a good news story for Zachariah and Elizabeth. It's a good news story for all of God's people. It's a good news story. But the years of pain means that Zachariah isn't able to respond with the excitement that we might think that he ought to have. I mean, he can't help but have doubts. In fact, his response is really a point-blank refusal to believe the angel. He says, hey, 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 we are really old. Do you know this? We can't, this can't happen. And you know what? We get it. You know, for many of us, what would come to mind would be the objective reasons why this couldn't possibly be true, why this couldn't happen. And we do this. And we do this on the one hand because it protects us from disappointment, but on the other hand, we need to recognize that it actually keeps us from experiencing the joy of a moment like we could. And so Zechariah is stuck in the state of disbelief, and he can't get his mind wrapped around what it is that this angel is telling him. But the good news is that this doesn't stop God from using Zechariah. This doesn't stop God from working through him. But because of Zechariah's disbelief, the angel makes it so that Zechariah isn't able to speak until after John is born. And it's through this act that we see that the Christmas story invites us to, to see how hope can, in fact, grow from places of doubt. See, this isn't simply a punishment. Rather, it's a sign by being made mute, Zechariah can't do that thing that we all do where we try to explain away a moment using tools like logic or just denial. You know, it would be easy to have walked out of that, that experience and say to yourselves, did that really happen? Or to allow the significance of that moment to fade over time as real life kicks in. Instead, by being struck mute, uh, Zechariah has this lasting uh, experience that continues with him, you know, long after maybe the high of that moment might have lasted before. He has this lasting experience that would remind him of what had happened and the promise that had been made. In fact, other people take note of what happened to Zechariah and they say, he must have seen a vision. And they were right, he had seen a vision. And because Zechariah couldn't, couldn't speak, he couldn't explain away the pregnancy as this pregnancy began. Rather, he was given the opportunity to watch and to entertain the possibility that God was actually doing what God said that he would do. That God was going to do the impossible. And as a result of this whole experience, Zechariah becomes a completely changed man. In fact, if you later on today read Zechariah's song, you will see somebody who's been transformed through this experience. You know, as we prepare for Christmas this year, I want to invite us to look for ourselves in the Christmas story. And so this morning, I'm inviting us to, to reflect on Zechariah's experience and, and to ask ourselves a couple questions. The first is, in what areas are we struggling to maintain hope? You know, the reality is, is that we will all have moments and seasons when we're not going to feel that hope of God being with us. Instead, the pain of real life is going to make experiencing hope hard. And so I think it's valuable for us to take a moment and to name the reality of this. You know, maybe we are struggling to see how God is with us in, a, in the midst of a painful family situation. 
You know, maybe we find ourselves questioning God's love for us. Maybe we were struggling to believe that situations and people can ever change. In what areas are we struggling to maintain hope right now? And second, how can I make space to reflect on the fact that God is with me? You know, the reality is that many of us are busy. I've had a couple conversations with a few of us in the foyer this morning, and we know what we got to do over the next two weeks. It's going to be busy. It's going to feel full. And a lot of the times, we are busy doing good things. Let's just say it. We aren't busy doing terrible things. We're doing things that are good, that need to get done. They are good things. But when we're not busy, when we finally crash, we often are plugged in still, aren't we? There's lots of noise that surrounds us. And all of this makes it hard for us to be paying attention to how God is present with us in these moments. And so what we need to do is we need to make space to wait, to watch, to listen, to be like Zachariah and reflect on how God is with us in our experience of daily life. And to help us with this, let me again recommend the BIC Advent devotional. There's a few copies that are still out in the foyer at the Welcome Center if you want a, couple, if you want a hard copy. Uh, if there's none left or you're willing to do this, we have some, there's some digital copies available as well too. But these are an excellent resource that can give us a prompt to slow down, to wait, to watch, to listen. This morning's Advent devotional was fantastic, by the way. I would encourage you to make use of that. See, we could all benefit from having some space in our days, time away from the craziness, from the to-dos, from the noise, when we can connect with God. And we need these moments because over time, they will give us the ability to see how God is at work in our lives. They'll give us the ability to see how God is at work in the lives of others, and it will transform us for the better. We need this time. A few years ago, I, I woke up to the reality that, that I had changed. And let me explain here for a moment. I, I had changed. But see, years ago, I tended to be the youngest person on any team that I got to be a part of. And so, as the youngest person, I was the one with the bright eyes, with the big ideas, that feeling that we could do anything. And everybody around me smiled and nodded and said, that's nice. Uh, and then one day, I woke up and I realized I had become what I call the yeah, but guy. And what I mean is I'm the guy that can come up with the reason why any really good idea can't happen. I'm the yeah, but guy. That's a great idea. Yeah, but. And like some may call it cynicism. I prefer to call it realism or pragmatism. But, but as life happened, this snuck up on me. I've noticed that my openness to things that seem idealistic or out of the box or new, that has kind of dimmed. That has diminished. I think... Zachariah here is an experienced yabat yeah, guy. He's an experienced realist. And that might be true for many of us here this morning. You know, we have experienced some realities of life, and because of the things that we have experienced, it can be easy to look down on other people who show some uh, idealism, regardless of their age. And then subconsciously, we shake our heads and we think, oh, they're just a little naive, or just wait until they, re they get into real life and life kicks them around a little bit. But here's the thing. We need those people. We need those people in our lives because they challenge our sense of what is possible. We need these people because they invite us to be open to new possibilities and to new ideas, to get outside of our experiences and to think about the possibility that something could be bigger and more and different. We need these people. I think Mary 
in the, in the Christmas story can help us with this. And so we're going to keep reading from Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26. In the sixth month, of, sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. You have been found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from the Lord will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. I love how these uh, two stories are back to back. And in fact, if you laid them side by side, uh, you would see a whole lot of similarities here. A whole lot of similarities. You know, much like Zechariah, the angel tells Mary about how she would have an unexpected child. And not only that, would she have an unexpected child, but this child would be from God and would be the rescuer and the ruler that, that Mary's people had been longing for and looking forward to for generations. This message right here is a message that God had not forgotten his people And that in and of itself was good news. That was the hope that so many people had been waiting for. But again, our relationship with hope can be complicated at times. There are things that we might say that we're hoping for, but over time, our confidence that our hope will be realized, it can fade. And instead, we might realize that that our our hopes become things that we intellectually affirm, like we think that this is a good idea we intellectually believe in, perhaps, but we don't actually expect I think that this is where we find Zechariah in our passage this morning. Here we have a man of faith, a man who is godly and blameless, but in reality was not prepared to actually experience God showing up. But again, Mary shows us another way. Now, Mary does have some questions about the news that she hears, and I don't know how you wouldn't have questions about the logistics, okay? I mean, here she is, she's engaged, but her and her fiancé have not had sex, and so she has questions. How is this going to happen? And it's worth noting that the angel doesn't rebuke her for asking these questions. Instead, the angel answers the questions and says, all this is going to happen supernaturally. Now, getting back again to Zechariah. The news that he heard should have been received as good news for he and for Elizabeth. The scandal of being childless was coming to an end, and they were going to be vindicated. They were going to be blessed. This was good news for them. If anyone should have had a negative reaction to the words of this angel, it should have been Mary, because this news was going to put her in a bad situation. See, she was about to become an unmarried pregnant woman. The rumors were going to fly. Her character was going to be questioned. People were going to turn their backs on on her and Joseph. In fact, Joseph recognizes the scandal for what it is and was trying to come up with a way to distance himself from Mary when God speaks into that and says, no, don't do that. But while Zechariah reacts with disbelief, Mary takes it all in and and she says, I'm the Lord's servant. 
Now, does this mean that Mary understood everything? No, not at all. In fact, I'm sure she had more questions after the angel answered her first question than she started with. But not only that, she couldn't be sure that how everything was going to go. You know, she couldn't have been sure that this wasn't going to be hard. In fact, it was. Physically, emotionally, socially, this was going to be hard. There were no promises that, from the angel that this was going to be easy. But Mary's response to what the angel says to her stands out as an expression of faith and trust. That despite everything that she didn't understand, that she's willing to be a part of what God is doing. And I think that this invites us to consider how the Christmas story invites us to be participants in God's story of hope. You know, since uh, December 1st, uh, the algorithms on our streaming services have all changed. Anybody else experienced this? Suddenly, there's a whole lot more Christmas movies now than there was the last day of November. And uh, in our house, we have started watching Christmas movies. In fact, the record is three Christmas movies in one day. Um, I know it's a high score. We're going to try to beat that one later on this week, maybe. I don't know. Uh, and as corny as some of them are, they do remind us of some of the ideals that we long for as people. For example... In The Christmas Carol, Charles Dickens' classic, Ebenezer Scrooge has a series of visions that transform him from being cold and heartless to someone who treats everybody with, with kindness and generosity. And he finds himself being reconciled, pursuing reconciliation with his nephew and his employee, Bob Cratchit. Or another classic, Elf. Where we got Buddy the Elf is reunited with his long-lost father uh, over the course of the movie. It's not an easy road, but by the end of it, they are reunited, and the relationship just goes on from there. And of course, there are countless other movies where, that start with relational strife that seems to be just too big for anybody to overcome. But because of the Christmas magic, of course, right? People who have huge differences finally sit down together and there's just love and warmth and it's wonderful and beautiful. I'm a terrible person to watch Christmas movies with, by the way. But I find them really cheesy. <laughs> but there is something important about them because they speak to something, they speak to these themes of reconciliation and peace. These things that we long for. And there's something about Christmas that inspires us to dream about how these could be true. How there's something about Christmas that could transform our lives and our relationships. Of course, as we know as followers of Jesus, is that Jesus came to be the way of peace and reconciliation. Between us and God. Between us and the people that we live with and we work with and we go to school with, our family, extended family, that, that Jesus has come to bring this way of peace and reconciliation into reality in our lives. And if you were with us this fall, we went through a series called uh, Peaceful Practices, and we explored these themes together. And perhaps you're still thinking about some of them, and I'm still thinking about some of them. And we were going to go back and visit these another time, I'm sure. But we, we were, we were kind of worked through what does it look like to engage the way of peace and reconciliation this fall. But again, we did this because relationships are hard. And there's no shortage of divisive differences that are around us. There is all sorts of potential for us to get into conflict. But in what we see in Jesus is, is the God who has a heart for reconciliation and, to, and wants to make it happen. 
We see the God who loves deeply, whose love covers a multitude of sins and and other offenses. And and Mary here in this Christmas story is invited to be a part of this story, this story of hope. That through the baby that that she would give birth to, that God's peace and reconciliation would become a reality. And Mary accepts. She says, yes, I want to be a part of it. And so this morning, we are invited to consider God's invitation for us to be a part of bringing this peace and reconciliation into being in our relationships this Christmas season and beyond. And so a question for us is, will we choose peace and dialogue over division and conflict? Now, a question like this can raise a lot of questions, I realize. You know, it can, there's a lot of logistical questions, like how on earth would we even go about doing this? But there can also be a lot of emotions, There's feelings of uncertainty and fear. I mean, what happens if I get hurt? Will they reject me? Will they even accept my my desire to to take a step forward into this this relationship that feels strained? Will Will I be accepted? Is this okay? And these questions are good questions, and we might not be able to find easy answers to them. But what we can answer is whether we are willing to follow Mary's example and say yes to Jesus' invitation to follow him and his ways. And so this morning, I want to leave us with a prayer practice that I think is something that we can use throughout our each and every day as we bump into maybe situations where relationships are hard or where we're trying to figure out what, next to, do, what to do next. And I think it, it follows uh, Mary's example in many ways of Mary saying, uh, giving herself to, to God, saying, yes, I am the Lord's servant. I think this prayer practice kind of follows that example. And we sometimes call a prayer like this a breath prayer because it's something that we can do quickly just in the pattern of our breathing. And it goes like this. Jesus Christ, Son of God, I am yours. Jesus Christ, Son of God, I am yours. And so as we go about our days, as we bump into people and there's, there's the tough situations, we can find ourselves pausing and just say, Jesus Christ, Son of God, I am yours. Jesus, I need help because this person is really hard to love. Jesus Christ, Son of God, I am yours. Lord, honestly, I can't stand the opinion that person's sharing. Help me not to lash out. Jesus Christ, Son of God, I am yours. Lord Jesus, help me to forgive as you forgave me. Jesus Christ, Son of God, I am yours. You know, what I love about the Christmas story, really what I love about the whole story of Scripture, is that what we see, while we see God doing some amazing, life-changing, earth-changing things, that at the same time we see him doing this by slowing down so that people like you and me get to be a part of what he is doing. You know, the Christmas story is not about God forcing his will on humanity. Just, you know, this is what we're going to do, people. We're just doing it. Instead, it's a story of humility and simplicity, of God coming up close to be with people like us in the, in the places where we are at, when our faith isn't where we want it to be, when we've got questions and doubts and we aren't really sure what we think about everything. God coming close to us and inviting us to join him. And so as we journey through this Christmas season, let us hear this invitation to join him in his story of hope. Please join me in prayer.
Jesus Christ, Son of God, we are yours. Lord Jesus, there are a lot of things going on in our lives, in our world. A lot of things that are occupying our mental energy, our emotional energy, even our spiritual energy. Lord, some of these things are really excellent things. You know, we are looking forward to time with family. We are looking forward to time with friends. We are looking forward to, to a little bit of rest as we celebrate, Lord. And we want to prepare ourselves for this to be as good as it can be. And Lord, as we move towards this, this celebrate, time of celebration, we feel hectic. We feel frazzled. We feel busier and distracted than we want to be. This morning, Lord, we take a deep breath. And Lord, we give ourselves to you. And we say, Jesus, would you help us to see you, to experience you, Lord, that your hope would grow inside of us. Jesus Christ, Son of God, we are yours. Lord Jesus, for some of us, this season feels hard. We are struggling with our health, our mental health, our physical health, our emotional health, Lord, we are just not doing well right now. And so, God, in this space of uncertainty, we, we give ourselves to you, and, Lord, we say we need to experience you. We need to experience your wholeness and your healing. And, Lord, in this place right now where we are waiting, we ask that you would give us eyes to see you. Lord Jesus, others of us are struggling for a variety of other reasons. Lord, relationships are hard. We aren't sure how things are, are going. We aren't sure about our finances right now. There's uncertainty with regard to work or how we're going to pay the bills. God, in these moments, it can be hard to maintain hope. And so, Lord, we ask that you would just give us a little glimpse of you, that you would slow things down, and God, that we might be able just to see how you are at work in our story. God, for others of us, we are, we're doing well right now. And so Lord, our prayer is that you would help us to be a part of your peace and your reconciliation becoming real in the places that we are this week. Lord, would you give us the ability to love well, to forgive well, to be people of joy and hope to represent your presence in our workplaces, in our schools, in our homes, Lord. <laughs> we go to extracurriculars with the kids, Lord, that we would be people that just elude, exude your peace. Jesus Christ, Son of God, we are yours. Lord, would you give us eyes to see you this week? Would you grow in us your hope, your joy, your peace, and your love? Lord Jesus, we are grateful for you. Amen.